Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Acts chapter 1. And uh, I called this the unfinished volume. And there's a reason why I did that, as I'll explain a little bit later. But the book of Acts is a very key book in the New Testament. And you might say, why is that the case? Listen, if the book of Acts was not present in our Bibles, if that book wasn't there, the New Testament would not make a whole lot of sense to us, the rest of the New Testament. Because if you think about it, how do the Gospels end? Well, of course, we know that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. We know that. It's, of course, every Gospel uh, accounts for that. But you have this group of Jewish disciples huddled in Jerusalem with a commission to go out into the world to share the gospel of Christ. That's, that's, that's where the gospels end. You've got these group of Jewish disciples gathered in, in Jerusalem and uh, waiting. But if you take the book after the book of Acts, which is the next book in your Bible, the book of Romans, how does that book start? Interesting. You have a man who's never mentioned in the Gospels once speaking to Christians in Rome. And Rome is the heart of the Gentile culture. And he's talking about preaching the Gospel to the ends of the earth. So if the book of Acts was there, you, you, you finish with the Gospel, you got these Jewish people in Jerusalem huddled, and then you get to Romans, and you got this Gent, or he's not a Gentile, but he's a Jew, but he's preaching to a Roman, to a Roman church in the Gentile, the headquarters of the Gentile world, you go, what happened? Well, what happened was the events described in the book of Acts. The author, of course, we know is the beloved physician Luke. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. In other words, all that Jesus did while incarnate in his physical body on earth that's the Gospel of Luke. It's really what you would consider to be volume one of Luke's books. The book of Acts, also authored by Luke, is volume two. And if, if, if Luke was all the things that Jesus did uh, in his physical body while on earth, volume one, volume two is all that Jesus continues to do by the Holy Spirit, through his spiritual body here on earth. We're, the church is the spiritual body. So it's a continuation. And you'll notice that I said all that Jesus continues to do through the work of the Holy Spirit. Acts begins, or uh, as you get into the book of Acts, it, dial, or it records the start of the church, the start of the church age, the beginning of the church age. And it ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome. I want to just go all the way to the end of the book and just read you the last couple of verses from Acts chapter 28. It says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. That's kind of a strange end to a book, isn't it? It's like, uh, uh, okay, so he's in, under house arrest in Rome. What happened? What happened to Paul? We're not told. It's widely believed that 
That was not the end of the story for Paul, that he was actually released from house arrest and he went on to do more evangelizing throughout the world, the known world at that time. It's an unfinished story because Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, continues to work through his spiritual body. The story of the church is continuing today. We're part of that story. It's being written today. Like I said, uh, the church age, we're still in the church age right now. Although I'll tell you, I honestly believe we are very, very close to the end of the church age. I think that that age is coming to an end. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14, as he's talking about the last days to his disciples, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. The gospel's got to go out to all the world. Now, I'm not going to really generalize here, but generally speaking, generally speaking, the spread of the gospel has from been from Jerusalem west. Now I know, I know, you know, uh, some of the apostles went different directions, but generally speaking, the, if you see that the, the historical spread of the gospel, it went from Jerusalem west. I could be west, I guess, because I'm looking opposite. It'd be west to um, to the uh, to Europe. And you can see that historically. The gospel went into Europe. And, and then from there, historically, generally speaking again, the gospel spread from Europe to the North American continent. And then there, from there, the spread of the gospel. You remember Hudson Taylor, the China Inland Missions. You know, from there, the Lord laid it on his heart to go further, further to the Far East, actually. He was going further west, but going to the Far East to spread the gospel to the nations over there. Now, the reason why I bring that up, um, I read a book a long time ago. It's been in print for quite a while. It's a guy by the name of David Aikman. <coughs> excuse me, David Aikman. His book, Jesus in Beijing. It's how Christianity is transforming China. And it's a little bit dated. I think there's a new updated version of it out there now. But I read that book and I was fascinated with it. But here, here's a guy talking not about the official church in China, because that one is really controlled by the communists, but the house church movement. And it is huge, at least it was when the book was written. It was huge in China. There are a lot of believers in China. And it describes in his book how the house church in China is now sending missionaries to Israel. And what the missionaries, the Chinese missionaries believe, they believe that they are completing the circle of the gospel going around the globe from east to west. They are coming full circle to Jerusalem, to Israel. And so the gospel has spread around the whole earth. It's been, it's come around full circle. And so, like I said, we're still in the church age, but I think we're very close to the end of it. I really do. And because the book of Acts is an unfinished volume, what we're going to study in the next few weeks as we go through the book of Acts, it describes a pattern and a model for the church today even for Calvary Chapel Rochester here this morning. It's a pattern and a model. It still applies uh, to us. And, you know, I, I just want to say this at the outset. I was praying this morning about the word and, and, uh, and what I was preparing, what the Lord laid on my heart. And, and uh, I'll just tell you this up front. I'm not the fount of all truth, 
okay? I, I, I don't know it all. I, I, I'm not like, hey, I got it all figured out and stuff. You know, I've taught through the book of Acts before, um, and I'm sure I have my notes somewhere. <laughs> but I'll be honest with you. Anytime I go into a book, I start from scratch. I'm like, Lord, show me what you want me to show, what you want to show me. And I start uh, fresh going through there. And uh, I'm going to be learning right along with you, you know, what the Lord wants to show us in our church uh, as we go through the book of Acts. So I'm excited about this study. So I mentioned that Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote, of course, the Gospel of Luke. Um, Both of them were written for a guy by the name of Theophilus. Uh, Some people don't even know that. think it may not even be the name of a person. I happen to think it is, but who knows? I don't know. I wasn't there. Is he a believer or was he an unbeliever? We're not told. What's interesting to me is Luke's salutation in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, he calls Theophilus most excellent Theophilus. And if you go through the book of Acts, very similar salutations are mentioned in the book of Acts. For example, in Acts chapter 23, Claudius Lysias refers to most excellent governor Felix. In Acts chapter 24, Tertullus refers to most noble Felix. And in Acts 26, Paul also refers to most noble Felix. It sounds like a very similar salutation, most excellent Theophilus. And so based on those salutations, it's quite possible that Theophilus was a Roman official. Was he a believer? Well, I pray that he was, um, but we don't know that. But anyways, so you wonder, who is Theophilus? Well, maybe. It's possible he was a Roman official that Luke was writing to. You know, uh, I know the ladies, you just finished a a Bible study through the book of Revelation, and and hopefully, I'm I'm pretty sure you you covered this, but the book of Revelation has a divine outline in chapters 1, verse 19. If you take verse chapter 1 verse 19 and you read that verse don't do it right now but if you if you read that verse that really gives you an outline for the rest of the book of revelation and similarly the book of acts has a divine outline too and that's in chapter 1 verse 8 verse 8 let me read it to you but you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth you can actually divide up the book of acts by that verse, breaking it down by that by that outline. We have chapter 1 and 2, which is describing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We have chapters 3 through 7, where the disciples now are being witnesses in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said. Then in chapter 8, something happens to the church there, and it's persecution. And uh, that drives the church out of Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria. Then when you get to chapter 13 and on to the rest of the book, Paul and Barnabas are sent to the Gentiles and then the work continues to the ends of the earth. So you could really divide it by that outline. Well, let's dig into verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, 
being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after Christ's uh, resurrection and before his ascension 40 days later, we're going to be looking at that this morning. During that time, Jesus prepared his disciples for the ministry that he was commissioning them for. It says there that he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days. So in preparation, he gave them infallible proof of his resurrection, many infallible proofs. If you think about it, he would uh, appear to them. He ate with them. He ate in front of them. They felt him. I mean, they literally touched him. Yeah, he's literally... He's literally here. He's not an apparition. They saw him. They heard him. And it wasn't just the 12 disciples. There were several different groups of them and at several different times. In fact, one time Paul records in 1 Corinthians how Jesus appeared up to 500 people at one time in one place. And so Jesus is preparing them for ministry, first of all, by giving them undeniable, infallible proof of his resurrection. And that is important because they were to be witnesses of the resurrection. That was their, that was their calling. You're going to be my witnesses. You think about it. When a witness in a, in a courtroom, when they're called to take a stand, you know, the judge doesn't say to them or the attorney, whoever's questioning them, so what's your opinion about what happened? They don't ask that of, of, a, of a witness. What do they ask a witness? A witness, they don't care about their opinions. They don't care about what they feel. They just say, hey, what did you see? What did you hear? What do you know? And what did the disciples see, hear, and know? Man, Jesus is alive. Now, I love how it says he, he appeared to them many times. Because if you think about it, if it had been one appearance... You know, you could go, well, you know, maybe I was just thinking that Jesus, or maybe it was just, man, something I ate. And I, you know, I just, maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm mistaken. But he gave them many infallible proofs, and that would be needed for their testimony, an unshakable foundation, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is an unshakable foundation of our faith, right? The resurrection of Christ continues to be the unshakable foundation of our faith. Why? Well, because... As it says, as Paul wrote in Romans 1 verse 4, he's declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. See, that changes Christianity from a belief system or a maxim to live by. Because, you know, Jesus taught a lot of good things, right? He, he taught a lot of parables. He taught, taught how to live your life. And, and some people even today, they would concede, hey, Jesus, is a, he was a good teacher. You know, he was a prophet. He, he said many good things. Well, it's much more than that. He is the living God. And so the fact that he rose again from the dead, he's declared to be the Son of God of power, think about it. You can have a relationship with the living God. It's not a, it's not a code of ethics to live by or, or a belief system. It's a relationship with the living God. The second thing is his resurrection proves that Jesus has power to forgive sins. Right? The problem of sin is resolved at the cross. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Or praise God, he rose again from the dead. His sacrifice for our sins was accepted. 
by the Father. Because if it hadn't, he'd still be in the grave. But it was sacrifice. His sacrifice was accepted. The third thing is, his resurrection proves that Jesus has power over death. Paul said this, Romans 6, 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. And the most. So if you think about it, you know, uh, he would be there with the disciples. They'd be gathered and all of a sudden, poof, there's Jesus. <laughs> he appeared, you know, and then poof, there he's gone again. And then you didn't know, I mean, Jesus didn't say, okay, next Saturday I'll be here again. You, know, he, you didn't know. He just, boom, there he is again. That was preparing, I believe, preparing them for his second coming. Because you never know when Jesus could return. In fact, the Bible says no man knows the day or hour when Christ will return. So I think even that was preparing them that he could return at any moment. And then in verse 3 it says, During those 40 days, he was speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I I did a little word search. Kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven or the kingdom. And in the Gospels, it's mentioned about 120 times in the four Gospels. That's quite a bit. Jesus spoke incessantly about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom. And depending on the context of the passage... What does the kingdom of God refer to? Well, it could refer to your and my present relationship, right, uh, with, that the believers have. When you're born again, you're part of the kingdom of God. He, and he, had, he did refer to that in several places. But he also referred to, and, and again, you have to look at the context of the verse, a literal future external kingdom which we know uh, is going to be uh, an earthly messianic kingdom. Well, we, we know it's the, the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. And then after that, the heaven and earth pass away, and God creates his eternal kingdom with the new heaven and the new earth. Um, so there is a coming kingdom, a kingdom of God. He's referring to that, but he's also was, depending, again, depending on the verses, referring to that internal relationship that you and I have in our hearts. When we are born again, we're part of the kingdom of God. So which was Jesus talking to them about? We're not told. But both would be important. It's it's important for you and I. First of all, the kingdom, when you and I are born again and we become members of the kingdom of God, we're part of the family of God, well, how do you live your life now? Are you living your life as one who is part of the kingdom of God? Are you living like you're a child of God? And then it's also important for your goal and your aim in life. Because a person's beliefs is reflected in their actions. And if you really believe that Jesus Christ is coming and you're expecting the coming, the literal coming kingdom of God, you're going to be living in light of the reality of that, or at least you should be, of Christ's soon return. And so both would be important, how you live your life now as a believer. I'm a member of the kingdom of God. But also, man, the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus is returning to set up his kingdom. Verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The importance of waiting. That's a preparation for them as well, waiting. You know, I I, I love the Psalm, Psalm 32. 
Um, the entire psalm is beautiful, but verses 8 and 9. I love this. Psalm 32, 8 and 9. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. I know a lot of times when I'm reading that psalm, I'm praying, Lord, I don't want to be like the horse or like the mule, Lord. I, I, want, to, I want to be guided by you and I want to, lead, I want to follow wherever you're leading. You think about it. A horse, a horse charges ahead, right? They're just, they're out of there. Uh, we went horseback riding years ago in Montana, and, and uh, um, I'm not a horseback rider, so, uh, you know, I was a little uneasy, and I think the horse knew that I was not real comfortable on it. And We're going, and it couldn't get the horse to barely go, and we went for, I don't know, a couple miles through all these farms and stuff of the people that we were staying with. They knew all these people. We are just going through all these things. Finally, you get to, I don't know, but a couple hours, right? And I'm just sitting there, this horse is barely going. And then they said, oh, let's go home. And they turned around, and man, I couldn't stop that horse. I'm like, whoa, Betsy! You know, and I'm like barely hanging on for my life. And uh, he wanted to get back to the stable, man, I tell you. But horses do that, man. They charge ahead. And, and if you think about that, that's a picture of those that run headlong into ministry without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, wait, wait until you're empowered with the Holy Spirit. Those that don't wait, they charge ahead. They labor under their own power, which is the flesh. And you, sometimes you see that when someone is laboring in ministry and they're doing it under their own strength. Um, that's when ministry becomes a burden. When you're trying to do it in your own strength, you know, um, or it may not become a burden because you might have a little bit of steam. You know, you can, you can hang on for a while anyways. But sooner or later, you're going to run out of that limited source of steam. You know, the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it's not to blow the train whistle. You know, that's what some people think. You know, I'm filled with the Spirit. Woohoo! look at me. You know, that's not what the power of the Spirit is behind the, or what it's for. It's to power the locomotive. It's to keep you going in ministry. It's to make you effective in ministry. And so... Uh, he says, don't be like the horse in, in Psalms. I, I think of the term, you know, hold your horses. You know, wait on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So don't be like the horse, but also don't be like the mule. The mule, man, to think about a mule, a mule lags behind. They're stubborn. They won't follow. I don't know if you've ever seen The Amazing Race before. Uh, I remember one time they were like in South America somewhere and they had to take these burrows and they had to take these burrows somewhere and it was very funny to watch because the burrows, they just, they just, they'd sit down like they ain't going nowhere, you know. Um, but that's the picture you get when you think of a mule. They're stubborn and they won't follow. And to me, that's a picture of someone who's not being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting or... Or they're just stubbornly refusing to obey the Spirit when he prompts. An example would be someone says, you know, hey, I'll serve the Lord. I'll be involved in ministry when, and then you could fill in the blank. I'm not ready to do it now, whenever, you know, um, when I'm retired or when the kids are out of the house or when it's comfortable for me, then I'll do it, you know, uh, or if I feel like it. Don't be like the mule. I was going to say another name for the mule, but I, I won't say that. I was, my mind goes that way. I'm sorry. I'm glad I didn't. Thank you, Lord. I didn't say that. <laughs> Don't be a mule, okay? <laughs> 
So what were the disciples, what were the apostles to wait for? They were to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this is interesting to me. If you go to the Gospel of John, and this occurs after Christ's resurrection, but before Pentecost. So if you get this in your mind, Jesus had already risen from the dead, but it's before we're going to read the description of what takes place at Pentecost. In John chapter 20, verse 22, it says, Jesus appeared to the disciples and breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's before Pentecost. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is my conviction. It may not be yours. And that, like I said, I'm not the fount of all knowledge and truth. But my personal conviction is that the apostles were born again at that time, that they received the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, when Jesus said, Lazarus, rise up, what did Lazarus do? He rose up. When Jesus said, Be still to the storm, but the storm is still. It's stilled, you know. Uh, when Jesus said, Receive the Holy Spirit, I believe that they received the Holy Spirit at that time. And this is before Pentecost. In Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verse 45, again, also after the resurrection, but before Pentecost, it says, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And you know, before a person's born again, before they have the Holy Spirit dwelling, they cannot comprehend scriptures. Not in the truest sense, not in the way it's supposed to be comprehended. And now here the apostles are able to comprehend scriptures. And you might be thinking... Wait a minute. How could they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in John 20, 22 before the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? It does not make sense. Well, let me tell you what helps me to make sense of this. And what helps me to make sense of this is the prepositions that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, this is the chapter Jesus is talking about the Helper, about the Holy Spirit. He says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There's two prepositions there, with and in. He dwells with you. That is the, uh, the Greek word para. You think of like uh, uh, paraclete, you know, it's a description of the Holy Spirit, or uh, I was going to say paramedic, but I don't know if it applies to paramedic, but it's someone that comes alongside, like a paraministry. You know, they're not part of the church. They're, they're, it's a ministry beside the church. Para means to come alongside, to be in proximity. And we know that the Holy Spirit is alongside the world today. He's in the world today, convicting the world of sin and of righteousness, the Bible tells us. So he says he dwells with you, present tense. But then he says, and will be, that's future, will be in you. And that is the Greek word in. It's in. It's it's what it means. It's the idea of being in, but also of resting or dwelling. And I think that's what took place in John chapter 20, verse 22, when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit went from a dwelling alongside to dwelling in them. And then the last preposition is in Acts 1, verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So we have 
alongside, in, and upon you. And that's a different Greek word. That's the word epi. And it means to be covered over with something, to be superimposed. In other words, you know, you get a letter and you have something stamped on it. You see the letter, but you also see the stamp above it, whatever it is. That's what that's a picture of. To be covered with something, but you can still see what is beneath. And I think, personally, that's a beautiful picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, you're still, you still have your own personality, but you're filled, you're covered with the Holy Spirit. And we are going to dig into that subject more in depth as we work our way through. This is not exhaustive today, this morning. We'll work our way through that as we go through the book of Acts. We talk about it more. So Jesus has been talking to the disciples, preparing them for ministry, uh, giving them infallible proofs of the resurrection, his resurrection. He's been uh, appearing and disappearing, so that's given them a sense of, you know, he could come back any time. He is speaking to them of the kingdom of heaven. And there in verse 6, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, remember, they were under Roman rule. And every Jewish person, aside from those that were maybe, uh, you know, they worked with Rome or they, you know, they were getting wealthy from Rome's occupation, most Jewish people were anxiously awaiting for Rome to be kicked out of there so that they could be autonomous again. So they're asking, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? You know what's interesting? What Jesus didn't say? Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, you're a little bit, you misunderstand it a little bit. All the blessings and all the promises that went to Israel, they now apply to the church. The church is going to replace Israel. Jesus didn't say that. That's known as replacement theology. And there are believers that out there that believe just that. They believe that all the blessings of Israel now belong to the church. Jesus didn't correct them. Jesus will restore the kingdom of Israel. Israel will be a nation. Now, when Jesus is talking to them, uh, you know, it's before 80, 70, and so the Romans hadn't destroyed Jerusalem. So they're still in Jerusalem. They're still a nation at that point. But the time would come shortly when they would no longer be a nation. They'd be scattered throughout the world. And it would be for approximately 1,900 years. And now Israel is a nation once more. I, I'm reading through Jeremiah right now, and I love this. This 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 one just stuck out at me as I was reading it in my reflections. Jeremiah 23 verses 7 and 8, and Jesus or Jer, the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah about the upcoming Babylonian captivity that they're going to go into Babylon, uh, but they're also going to be brought out from Babylon. And he says this. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. In other words, man, God lives, because look at he brought us back into the land. And that happened, uh, what, 70 years after 70 years of captivity. In 538 B.C., the Jews were brought back into the land under the permission of Cyrus the Persian. The Lord's alive. We're back. 
Well, 1,900 years later, you know, later on when they were again after AD 70, when they, when, uh, they were scattered once more, the Lord's alive because look at the nation of Israel is once more in the land again. To me, that's like one of the, one of the, it's just amazing. 1948, man, God is alive and he still has a plan for the nation of Israel. He still has a purpose for Israel. Israel will be a nation once more, and it is. The Lord lives. And in due time, the Lord will set up an earthly kingdom in Israel. We know that as the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. But look what he says there in verse 7. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times, to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. I got this from a commentary. It's Stephen Cole. He says this, Jesus did not correct the notion that he would someday restore the kingdom to Israel. He corrected their concern about when it would happen. He redirected their focus to the great task of the present age to bear witness of Jesus Christ to all peoples. Now, when Jesus said, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, Jesus is not saying, hey, don't be concerned with prophecy of the last days. We call that eschatology. Jesus isn't saying, don't be concerned with that. Why do I say that? Because in Mark 13, when Jesus is talking to his disciples about the last days in his return, he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray. For you do not know when that time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Therefore, excuse me, watch therefore. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So we are to be watching for his return. We are to be looking at scripture and going, hey, you know, this is fitting with what we're seeing in current events today. And man, I tell you, we are. It's like you can, you could read your newspaper or your, your news feed on your, on your tablet or whatever. And you could have your Bible next to you and go, whoa, it's amazing. What's how, how these things are lining up. So we are to watch we are to understand the time and the season we're living in, but here's what I think Jesus is saying. Don't try to set a date. Don't try to figure out when exactly something's going to happen. In fact, it's foolish to set dates because Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour. You know what blows me away? is someone well-meaning or something, they'll come up and they'll go, you know, I think Jesus is coming back now. They'll give me some time frame or something, some day or some festival or something like that. And they'll go, I think Jesus is coming back now. And I'm like, great. Now we know he's not coming back now. Because <laughs> Jesus said, no man knows the day. So you just ruined it, man. If, I wish you didn't know that, you know. Um, because if you think about it, it's going to be a surprise to everybody. Yeah. Even those that are like, it's coming today. That means he's not. He's coming when nobody expects it. No man knows the day or the hour. So it's foolish to set dates. And I think that's one of the things that Christ is trying to draw attention to the disciples. The other thing is he's trying to say, hey, you guys... Just go back to Jerusalem, wait, and fulfill the Great Commission. Because even even if you knew the day that Jesus was coming back, man, okay, you've got this time frame. What are you going to do with that time frame? Man, I'm going to be sharing the gospel with everybody I can. 
I'm going to be trying to live a holy life as much as I can. I'm going to want to glorify Lord. I want to be faithful when he comes back. I want to be ready when he comes back. And I want to reach as many people as I can for Christ. Great. Well, we don't know when he's coming back. He could come back at any time. There's nothing prophetically keeping Jesus, keeping the rapture of the church from taking him. There's nothing prophetically that's in between. Well, this has to happen. No, nothing. He could come at any time. And I think he did that on purpose for the church down through the ages. So that we would, every generation would have that sense of expectancy and also preparation. We're to know the day is drawing near, but it should motivate us to spreading the gospel. Now, I mentioned the rapture of the church. I mentioned the millennium. I grew up in a denomination that believed that the millennium was symbolic, that we're living through the millennium spiritually right now, and there is no rapture of the church. It's just Christ is coming in the last days, and that's it. And, you know, it's, there are people that believe different things, eschatology, or about the last days. We may differ in our eschatological views regarding the coming of Christ, but you remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, man, that's a foundational belief. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you believe in the resurrection of Christ. If you don't, then you're really not a born-again believer. That's a foundational thing of our faith. Well, also, Christ's second coming. That's another foundation of our faith. Christ is coming, and every true believer in Jesus Christ will acknowledge that. Yeah, Christ is coming. Now, we may differ on the timing or how it's going to take place, but we will, if you're a born-again believer, we do believe that Jesus is returning because he promised. He said he would. Well, moving on here to verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come so will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. You know, this is a this is a very mild rebuke, okay? So I don't know if you can even call it a rebuke, but you know if I was there with the disciples, you know what I would be doing? I I, I know me. <laughs> I'd be there, you know, there'd be drool coming out cuz I'd be like just staring. I I couldn't blame them for doing that. Well, as they're staring there, it's like, you know, two men in white, which we assume are angels, they appear, and they give them a general reminder, hey, he's going to return the same manner that he left. In the meantime, I think this is what they're inferring anyways, in the meantime, go back to Jerusalem, wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and fulfill the Great Commission. Yeah, he's coming back. We don't know when he's coming back, but we have work to do. In the meantime, we're to occupy until he returns. As I said in the beginning of the study, the book of Acts is an unfinished volume. And the reason why I say that is Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is still continuing to work in his, through his spiritual body. Now, his, his physical body is not on earth, and he was, he was doing, Luke record all the things that he did in his physical body. Acts is recording what he's doing in his spiritual body. And he's not done working. We are part of the body of Christ, right? Hands, feet, nose, thumb, big toe. I'm the big toe, you know, or the heel. I could be the heel. Um, but we're all parts of the body of Christ. He is still working 
today. The book of Acts is literally an unfinished volume because what you and I are doing is being recorded in the volume of the book somewhere in heaven, somewhere in heaven. And at the end of this age, the book is going to be complete and then it's going to be opened and it's going to be read and you and I are going to be rewarded according to the works that the Lord did through us, through you and I in this generation on the earth. And why do I say that? Because Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So if you look at your name is written in there somewhere. My name is written in there somewhere in the volume of the book. And I think we're getting close to the, the last chapter. I think, I think we literally are close to the end. And what you and I are to do, it's, it's recorded on what, we, what we've done. And, and it, it's going to be revealed what we've done for the Lord as believers. And so just a rhetorical question, what's being recorded about you, about me? You know, I'm really thankful for this Billy Graham event because, you know, we've done outreaches in our church and um, the doors closed on them. I mean, it wasn't like we decided to stop. The doors closed. We had a motorcycle ministry. That, that, the Lord closed that door. We had a outreach when, you know, we had the Halloween. I won't say Halloween, but, you know, it was on Halloween. Uh, we would do things here in the community because, uh, you know, for the kids and and. We had one time a trunk or treat where we had each trunk was a day of creation. And uh, we, got to, we got to share the story of creation as the kids would go to get their candy. And uh, 4th of July, when we, first, when we first bought the, in fact, they hadn't even bought the place yet. I mean, we, we maybe bought it, but we didn't occupy it at the time. I remember I was driving by here and, and it was 4th of July. Man, the parking lot's full of cars. What's going on? Well, what's going on is because they do the fireworks at Silver Lake. A lot of the community knew that they could just park here and they could walk over and watch the fireworks. Now, we made them a little upset because we blocked off that parking lot. But what we did is we set up tables. We had a grill going. We had music going and games for the kids. And we said, hey, come and eat here and then go watch your fireworks. Or you can even watch them here. And we had people watching fireworks front right from here in the parking lot. So we had these outreaches. But then... COVID hit, and then they were doing work on the bridge, and so the city decided to move the fireworks over to uh, wherever they're at now, I don't even know, Memorial Soldiers Field or wherever they do them. And uh, so it's like, okay, that door closed. And then COVID hit. And, you know, COVID hit, so it's just like you're hunkering down, man. That's all you can do. I mean, we just want to survive <laughs> make it through. And then we got to the other side of that, and I've been praying, Lord, what what do you want us to do? How do you want us to reach this community? And And then this was presented to me and I'm like, Lord, we're on board for this because I do believe he's returning soon. And I do believe we're to be about the kingdom of heaven. We're, we're to occupy it. And these, this is a beautiful opportunity to be involved with that. Even if you're not volunteering, please pray for it and, and come out to that prayer and worship night. I encourage you to do that. Show your support for this community, for the Christians in this community. Um, so anyways, having said that, why don't you stand up and let's go ahead and go Lord in prayer. I'll have the worship team coming up.